Well, it's good to be with you again. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks in the very first chapter of the Bible. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, Genesis 1, it's printed, the verses for today, uh, for today's sermon are printed in the worship folder, so you can follow along there. And um, uh, why, don't we, why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word, uh, which comes to us from Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Let's stand for uh, God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. This is God's word. Please be seated. Before we reflect on uh, God's word together, let's go to him in prayer. Creator God, in the beginning you said, Let light shine out of darkness. And we know that that's the kind of God that you are. You are the light that shines in the darkness. So we ask today that you would shine on us, that you would shine the light of your word on us this morning to the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, this week, I've got one. Thank you, though. Okay. Uh, This week, my kids and I, uh, we started the third Harry Potter book, uh, The Prisoner of Azkaban, if you know you know the series, um, and this is their first read through that through that series. It's probably my fourth, fifth, something like that. Uh, we're sort of uh, Potter people in our household, Potter nerds. Uh, and with any good story, I was reflecting on that this week. With any good story, you, you know you have to start at the beginning. Uh, it doesn't do you a, a bit of good to come into a movie 30 minutes late and begin asking questions on who people are and what's going on. Uh, you're going to be confused as to who people are and why they're doing what they're doing. And the same is actually, I think, very true for the Bible. A lot of people uh, come to the Bible and uh, they have objections to the Bible or um, doubts about the Bible or questions about the Bible. Uh, and uh, they haven't they haven't started at the beginning of the story, and so they've, they're coming in, you know, middle of the movie, and they don't know who's who and what's what and why things are happening. And so if you aren't familiar with Christianity or the story of the Bible, um, opening your Bible to Exodus or Esther or Ecclesiastes or Ephesians, um, it's, it's not really going to do you any good. And why is that? It's because just like any film or any story, if you don't know the beginning you're not going to know what the rest of the story is about. It's not going to make sense to you. So in the next few weeks, what we're going to do is just laser in on Genesis 1, on the beginning of the story. There's so much packed into one chapter of the Bible. Uh, And what I hope we discover together is that far from this being kind of, you you know, an ancient piece of Mesopotamian literature that's sort of distant and remote, and kind of separated from our modern concerns, what I hope is that what we find in Genesis 1 is answers to some of the real questions that I think a lot of us face, a lot of us feel, uh, a lot of us hear in our culture. Um, But also, and maybe more importantly than that, more of the modern concerns of, of the culture and our own hearts, is where things are headed, where things are going. Uh, because... What I want to make the case to you, maybe this morning and over the next couple of weeks, is that you, 
what you might say is that woven into, threaded into the beginning of the story, Genesis 1, are little sneak peeks about the end of the story, about where things are, are going, where things are headed. Um, so Genesis 1 shows us both where we came from, our origins, the beginning of the story, who's who, where is all of this from, but also, maybe more importantly, where is it all going? Where is it all headed? What's our destiny? So this morning what I want to do is very briefly uh, look at two images from Genesis 1. The first is God, and then the second is, is darkness. Uh, so two images from Genesis 1, uh, a God and darkness. And as, a, as Sam said, we're not experiencing a lot of darkness, at least this, after, <laughs> this morning. But um, we're going to look at that from Genesis 1. So the first thing uh, that I want us to see, what we should know, is that while Genesis is an account of the origins of the world, it's an account of the origins of the world, of all of creation, but it's primarily a revelation of who God is. Um, and that means that some of our questions and curiosities really are not the concern of the author of Genesis. Uh, see, we tend to, both as I think as Christians and maybe as people who who are, uh, are, are thinking about our friends and family or our neighbors who might bring certain questions to Genesis 1. We have our own curiosities. They have their own questions. Um, that's not really the primary concern of the author of Genesis. What he wants us to see, what the author wants us to see, and what he wants us to know at a fundamental core level is who God is. And so the question is, who is this God? Well, first we see that he's the creator of all. He's the maker of everything. I mean, you, you can't read Genesis 1 and escape that reality. Um, and you know that right from the beginning in the first verse where it refers to this name of God. In our Bibles, it's God. In the Hebrew, it's Elohim. And that's a title. Uh, that's a name that would have meant several things to the ancient Hebrew. Um, and it would have meant to the ancient Hebrews that this God who identifies himself as Elohim, for them that would have meant that God is utterly transcendent. That there's this God, there's this reality, this personal being who is absolutely, utterly transcendent. He's utterly different. He is not um, part of the creation. He's not mixed in with everything that we experience. He stands far above it, beyond it. He is, in fact, ultimate reality. Before space and time existed, what Genesis 1 is saying is there is an eternal, omnipotent, sovereign, personal God, and this Elohim made all things. That's what the heavens and the earth in verse 1 means. Uh, it means it, it, it stands for all of created reality. Everything that you see and experience, God made that by his power and by his wisdom. It also means that all things are dependent upon Elohim, upon the God of the Bible for their existence. They depend on him. Every moment of their being depends on the power and wisdom and might of that God. Uh, Francis Collins, a name you may have heard, he's a well-known a physician and geneticist, uh, leader of the Human Genome Project, he said in one of his books a number of years ago, he said, we have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang, 
15 billion years ago, the universe began with an unimaginably bright flash of energy from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. I can't imagine how nature, in this case, the universe, could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that had to be outside of nature. This is Francis Collins, one of the world's most profound minds and scientists and geneticists. And what he's saying is modern science has concluded that there was this big bang out of which everything came to be. And as one apologist and thinker um, I, know, uh, I know pretty well says, if you have a big bang, you need something outside of that. You need a big banger, right? You need somebody who can pull the trigger. Uh, and it would seem to be highly rational. Uh, it would seem to make sense to be logical to conclude that some kind of immensely powerful and intelligent being outside of nature, outside of the chain of cause and effect, beyond the space-time continuum, had to pull the trigger to result in everything that we see that came from what scientists call the Big Bang. So Genesis 1 says that this, you know, that the Big Banger, uh, the being who pulled the trigger, as it were, is Elohim. Paul says in Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. So Genesis 1 reveals God as Elohim, the creator of all. It also shows us, I think, that God is the grand architect. He's the sort of this cosmic artisan who designs and builds a perfect home. Um, as, you, as you study Genesis 1, as, as, as I've been studying, about, studying on it and thinking about it this week, one thing you discover is how polemical Genesis 1 is. Uh, the author of Genesis 1 is really, uh, he's not being uh, sort of politically correct in his day and age, as it were. He is challenging all of the counter narratives and all of the other origin stories of the cosmos in his, in his time and place. Um, and just like in the modern world, there's various spiritualities, both secular and religious, that kind of vie for our attention, vie for our allegiance. Just like today, in the ancient world, there were those counter stories, counter narratives, that sought to capture the imagination and the hearts of the people of God, of the ancient Hebrews. And so part of what the author of Genesis 1 is doing is distinguishing the biblical story from those counter narratives, uh, from the counter stories of the ancient world. And one way he does that is by saying, God is a grand architect. He's this masterful craftsman. See, many of the sort of the false narratives, the false stories of the ancient Near East, attributed the, the world, the creation of the world, to some sort of cataclysmic battle between sort of this eternal power for good and eternal power for evil. And so one story in, in ancient Mesopotamia held that there was this battle between two gods, this god Marduk uh, and Tiamat. And there were these two gods, and after Marduk won, after he defeated Tiamat, he used the, the, the dead carcass of Tiamat to create the world, um, to bring about the universe. But here in Genesis 1, you, there's no hint of that. There's no hint of an adversary. There is no battle. There is no rivals. 
there is no cosmic eternal war between good and evil. There's just God. Eternal, holy, wise, sovereign, and creative. And this God, um, you, you know from Genesis 1, if you know the story, uh, he doesn't even need materials. He doesn't need tools. This is, a, this is a different kind of craftsman, a different kind of architect. Instead, what you see is a God who takes nothing and makes something. He takes the emptiness and he fills it up. How does he do it? How does God do that? Just by his word. Just by the word of his power. That's the tool that he uses. He speaks and it comes to be. That's the kind of craftsman this God is. So God is Elohim. is the creator of everything. Uh, he's also this divine architect who, with the power of his word, creates out of nothing everything that is. But third, this God is a profoundly uh, mysterious personal being. What do I mean? Well, notice in verse 1 uh, and the second half of verse 2. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created. But then in verse 2, uh, we read that the Spirit of God, in Hebrew, the word for spirit could be translated as, as wind or breath. So it's the wind or the breath of God. Um, the Spirit of God, the Spirit wind of God, the Spirit breath of God hovered over the waters. Now, what's going on here? Uh, there seems to be, Genesis 1 seems to be indicating that there's, there's one God, and the ancient Hebrews would have known that. They had a a sort of creed, a confession of faith that they would say, if not daily, regularly, uh, they confessed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They knew that God was one. And yet here in Genesis 1, God seems to be revealing himself or presenting himself as more than one, as, some, as a kind of being who's profoundly mysterious and complex. Now there's... There's debate here to be sure. People read Genesis 1 in light of different things. But there's one thing that I think becomes dazzling, dazzling, dazzlingly wonderful as you continue on in the story. And it's that this creator God is somehow, mysteriously, profoundly, a divine mystery. There's, an, there's a hint here of interpersonal relationship within God himself. And if you know your Bible, uh, you know that later writers will reflect on this passage in Genesis 1 and see something astonishingly beautiful. That the God who creates here in Genesis 1 is the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle John says in John 1, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, the Son, the Son of God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. And Jesus, the night before he was executed in John 15, says that the Holy Spirit, the wind, the breath of God, comes from the Father. Uh, he's been with the Father, and he comes from the Father. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Sort of, have you ever pondered this? Uh, you know, why is there something? Why would God, why would a God who sort of is God, why would he create anything? Uh, why did he bring things into existence? What was his motivation? If you begin to understand the profound mystery of the God of Genesis 1, if you see here a mysteriously personal being, then the motivation for creation begins to make 
I think, some sense. If Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, is in fact the Son of God, the Word of God, who is in, who is in and active in Genesis 1, then you need to hear what he says about the essence of that relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it begins to make sense of, I think, the core longing that all humanity shares. John 17, Jesus is speaking to God, whom he calls Father. And he addresses him, God, his Father, as another person. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Think about that. Ponder that for a moment. Did you hear what Jesus just said? He said, before the world's foundation, before the creation of everything, the Father was loving the Son. That's what Jesus said. Before anything existed that came into being as a result of this creation. The Father was loving the Son before the world's foundation. That's why John, in the book of 1 John, later on in the New Testament, says God is love. It's not just some sort of sort of mushy, sentimental, God is love, you know, so we can sort of be tolerant of everything and love our neighbor and all of that. It's because God is love. Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity engaged in a divine conversation, a divine relationship where they exercise love and give glory to each other and adore the other. Right? The essence of love is moving out of yourself, giving to another, sharing yourself with another. And that's what the community of the Trinity has done for all eternity. And so what's the motivation for creation? Why would God create? It's because, moved by that eternal love, God chose to create and enter into relationship with you, with me, with all of creation. Here's the takeaway. There's no other religion. There's no other philosophy which says the reason why you exist, the reason all of this exists is because of love. You won't find that in Buddhism. You won't find that in Islam. You won't find that in scientific naturalism that says that all of your relationships are just sort of cosmic flukes and will be extinguished when the, when the planet finally dies in the death of the sun. Only Christianity, only the God of Genesis 1 says that you were made for love. You were created to be God's masterpiece. You were designed to be his son, designed to be his daughter. So the God of Genesis 1 is the creator. He's Elohim. He's a divine artisan, a, a divine artist. Uh, and he's also this profoundly mysterious being who we come to find out later in the story before the world's foundation has been loving in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the first, that's the first image I want us to see. Let's look at the se second image, which is found in verse 2, the darkness. Uh, you know, it's not entirely clear from Genesis 1 what this darkness is, what this sort of the chaos and void, uh, uh, the, this sort of waste of Genesis 1 is. Darkness in most places in the Bible has negative connotations. Um, we're not sh there's, some, there's mystery here in Genesis 1. 
And right at the beginning, God has made the heavens and the earth, and there's this darkness, there's this chaos uh, that is the the earth. It's without form and void. Um, and the chaos and the void and the darkness would have been very familiar to a Hebrew. Uh, think about the, the, the original audience, the people who would have originally heard and read Genesis 1. They were familiar with chaos and with darkness and with waste. What probably, what may have uh, occurred to their minds was the chaos and the waste and the darkness of Egypt. Um, that, right, the exodus in Egypt, when God visited ten plagues on the Egyptians, one of those plagues was darkness. Uh, and all of those plagues were, to some degree, um, a picture of creation unraveling itself, creation unwinding, creation falling apart frogs sort of coming out of their natural habitats and taking over, uh, water being turned to blood, uh, just crazy environmental cataclysmic events. It was creation undoing itself. Why? Why did that happen? Because Pharaoh shrugged off God. Because Pharaoh said, Who's, who is Elohim? Who's Yahweh? I don't, I don't need that kind of God. It's not even that he didn't believe in God. He just didn't care about God. And over and over again, you see in the Bible, and I'm sure you've seen in your own life, in the life of people that you love, in friends and family and neighbors, people who shrug off God, and it seems like their life just spirals down and down into hopelessness and chaos and darkness. See, wherever God is absent, wherever he's ignored, wherever he's shrugged off, there is darkness and there creation itself begins to unwind. But notice, notice what God does in the midst of that. This God, Elohim, this masterful artist, he goes into the darkness. He enters into the darkness. He doesn't just stand far off and watch this chaos and void and darkness sort of do its thing, he goes in. And the question for us this morning is, what is the chaos, I think, of our hearts right now? What is the chaos of your life? What is the chaos? Where is there darkness in you right now? Where is there darkness in our world? Genesis 1 says that God, the God of the Bible, the God that we've come here to worship this morning, brings order to that chaos. He delights to bring light into the darkness. He loves to choke out the darkness with the light of his life. How do we know that? How can you bank on that? Here's the reality. God entered the darkness in Genesis 1, but that's something that he did eons ago, and he did many years ago. He spoke light and penetrated the darkness. And then 2,000 years ago, in the darkness of a little town in Bethlehem, God entered the darkness again. The word that was with God in the beginning, the word that was God, John says, was made flesh. The light shone in the darkness. Jesus was born. And do you remember the stories about Jesus? I was, I was asking uh, Finn earlier uh, this morning, do you remember the stories about Jesus? Wherever Jesus went, wherever Jesus spoke, 
wherever Jesus was, the creation was made whole. All of the things that were unwound because of sin, people's disabilities, blindness, sickness, disease, death, Wherever Jesus went, the disabled people walked, blind people saw, hungry people ate till they were full. The storms obeyed his commands. But then on the cross, what do you see? You see this Jesus crucified, and from the sixth to the ninth hour, what do you see? You don't see anything. You see darkness. Darkness fills the land. See, Jesus on the cross was entering into the ultimate darkness, the ultimate chaos, the ultimate waste, and he was literally being unmade. He was being decreated. The one in whom all things hold together was in, in fact being torn apart. Why was that? It was so that you and I, friends, you and I, brothers and sisters, could be remade, could be reborn, could be recreated. Paul says... In the New Testament, if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Paul says that just as this God spoke all of the world, all of reality into existence, if you are believing in Jesus this morning, that means that you are a new creation. That God, by the word of his power, has said, this is who you are. You're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And I have good things planned for you. I have a whole new world that I'm remaking. And it's for you. It's a perfect home. Jesus was destroyed. He was unwound. He was decreated so that you could be reborn. So that you could be remade. So that you could be recreated. Friends, would you find this morning the light in the darkness? Would you come to Jesus and believe in him? Would you trust in him? Would you find in him rebirth, a new creation? Hope for not only your life, but hope for the rest of the world. Let's pray. Almighty God, everlasting Father, before time and space, you were there. Not in solitary loneliness, but in the infinite embrace of the Holy Trinity. Loving, delighting, glorifying each other. And out of that great love, you created the world. You covenanted with a creation and chose to bring light out of darkness, life out of chaos. That was your great love just getting started. For our creation, for our salvation, we adore you this morning. We bow our hearts and rejoice in who you are and all that you've done for us. We ask that you would fill the dark places of our lives with light. That you would fill up the empty places of our life with your life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.